Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. As most of you know, when it comes to my sermons, I'm not much of a quote-unquote planner. There's some pastors out there that you know, about, honestly, about this time of the year, they sit down and they take out the calendar for 2023 and they start going after what they're going to be preaching about uh, for the next year. And that's, that's just never how I've done it. That's, that's not how it is. Uh, if, if you're shocked to know that now you don't like me, sorry about that. Um, hopefully you won't leave the church, but uh I'm not much of a planner when it comes. We're going through the Bible right at the moment. We started back in 2015 with Genesis, and we just kind of just have been going through it. So for seven years, uh, we've been doing this. Uh, when, when it comes to this, I mainly go as the Bible goes. Uh, however, a couple of weeks ago, as I was reading ahead and trying to figure out where we were going, because Jeremiah is not in chronological order at all, and so it's kind of, okay, where are we going here? What's this story? This, this is an important story and all this kind of stuff. I, I realized that we would get to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple today, September 11th. Um, and one of the you know, days that a a lot of us remember as, you know, a a time of destruction uh, within New York with uh, with the, the, you know, the planes going into the towers and the Pentagon and then the plane that was, uh, that crashed in Pennsylvania. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty crazy. Sometimes the Lord does that. For those of you that have been with Crossroads since we've been doing this, there have been times when those kind of events kind of line up with, with what the word of God is. And it's like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong here. There is a significant difference between the acts of 9-11 and the destruction of Jerusalem and the, and the temple, okay? The acts of 9-11 were acts of terrorism, evil, and mass murder. I mean, that was, that's what that was. God ordered the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple after a long time of rebellion of the Israelites. Okay, so there is, there's a bit of a difference there. Um, but we are going to concentrate today on, uh, on this destruction, on God finally saying, it's over, this is it. I've given you time and so much time, and, and you haven't turned to me. Now, this was a very significant event and is recorded in a few spots. It's recorded twice in Jeremiah, in chapters 39 and 51. It's recorded in 2 Chronicles 36, and it's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 25. The two accounts in Jeremiah and 2 Kings are very similar. They're, they're worded almost the same. You wonder if Jeremiah copied them or if they copied Jeremiah or whatever. But it's, it's all kind of the same. So we're going to simply look at the 2 Kings account, and then we're going to look at the 2 Chronicles account and uh, see how this, th- this story applies to where we're at. So if you have your Bibles, open up first to 2 Kings chapter 25. 2 Kings chapter 25. Again, we're coming to the end here of the nation of Judah and Israel as uh, we've seen it for, for some time. Uh, but Second Kings chapter 25, starting at verse 1, says, In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it, and they built siege works all around it. If you guys remember, we've had this up here. This is our siege work. Remember, we got J-Town, the brick. We got our tanks and our laser guns and all that stuff, because that's what they had back in the Bible days. So that's, it's all set up. That's the siege. They, they lay siege to it. Verse 2, so the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. 
On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden. The Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Verse 6, Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. Verse 8, In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the, uh, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. Verse 13, And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord and the stands and the bronze See that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze uh, to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service, the fire pans also and, and the bowls. Uh, what was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. Verse 16 As for the two pillars, the one sea and the stands that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and on it was a capital of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, a lattice work, and pomegranates of, uh, 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 excuse me, all of bronze were all around the capital, and the second pillar had the same with the lattice work. Verse 18. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, uh, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the, of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war, and five men of the king's council who were found in the city, and the secretary of the commander of the army, who mustered the people of the land, and sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. Very, very discouraging time. Absolutely horrific time. Absolutely terrifying time. For them, I mean, we we can kind of, maybe kind of understand it. You know, if if you think back to September 11th and when the towers fell and where were you at and those kinds of things, you know, that was always the big question um, for those of you who were even alive back then. Um, but a lot of people, you know, you remember where you were prior to that. What was it? It was like December 7th. You know, the you know the the day they bombed Pearl Harbor. That was the date that everybody remembered. But that had been so long. But then September 11th comes, I was like, oh my goodness, that was terrible. That was horrible, absolutely terrifying. And this is what Israel was going through. And they just see everything that they stood for, everything that they thought they knew and they thought was great and wonderful and awesome was absolutely and completely destroyed. And I'm, you know, as, as the siege was happening, I'm sure they were, they were getting, you know, weaker and weaker in their thoughts when it came to it. But Man, when it finally happened, it was crazy. And the first thing that happens as they break through the wall, what, what, what does Zedekiah do? Hightails it out of there. <laughs> He's like, I'm out. I'm not going to die by the hand of this guy. This is not how it's going to work. 
Here's the crazy thing, though. Zedekiah is not just running from uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He's running from what? He's running from God. He's like, this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to let even God win in this one. And he makes it pretty far. Jericho is, is, is a few miles away from Jerusalem. Nobody really knows what he was thinking and what he was doing. But, I, I mean, because technically, <laughs> that direction from where Jerusalem and Jericho is, that's actually in the direction of Babylon. But anyways, he's, he's running in that way, and, and he goes there, and, and they find him, they catch him. And uh, they bring him back to Riblah, where Nebuchadnezzar was, where, you know, his command center, uh, as they were taking over Jerusalem. And they bring him before him, and they take all of his sons. And the last thing that Zedekiah sees is what? All of his sons slaughtered. Could you imagine? The king. And he sits there, and he comes back, and he's like, I'm going to kill your kids. And he just slaughters them all. And he's like, that's the last thing you're going to see. And then he pokes his eyes out puts him in chains, heads off to Babylon, and that is the last we hear of King Zedekiah. I mean, there's nothing. We, we don't know what happens by the time he gets to Zedekiah. A lot of it is kind of Jewish folklore. There's, there's nothing written. Babylon doesn't have any recordings. You know, they've got different records, but, but they really don't have anything about what happened to Zedekiah. But, but that's, that's what it is. And, and we've talked about this before with various kings that just kind of died, these kind of fates. It was what? Now, he wasn't that great of a guy because that's what the Bible commended him to was poking his eyes out. The last thing he sees is kids dying, and then he's off. Uh, so they talk about Zedekiah trying to escape. After this, they, they talk about the actual destruction comes in, and just like it was prophesied by Jeremiah, Nebuzaradan comes in and just takes it all out, crumbles everything, burns it all up, just, it, it's gone, you know, so I, I thought I had some crumbled brick, I didn't, so he just takes it, and he drops it, and then he goes around, he starts lighting it all on fire, you thought it was going to light on fire, didn't you, well, it's not, okay, we've, we, we've learned our lesson about setting stuff on fire in our church, but, um, that's what he did. So they all come in, and they come in with their tanks and their guns. And no, I'm just kidding. But uh, they do come in, and they totally take over Jerusalem, just like God had said, I'm going to burn this to the ground. It's all gone. That's the way it was. And then if that wasn't enough, that goes into great detail in 2 Kings 25 there, uh, starting at verse 18. What does he do? He takes the high priest, the chief priest, takes the second chief in command, takes a bunch of the other leaders, and they all take him. Bring them up to, to Riblah, and they stand before uh, Nebuchadnezzar and say, so these are the guys that were in charge beyond the king. And what does he do? Kills them all. You're all gone. You're all going to die. Kills them all, slaughters them all. It's absolutely horrific. And listen, this wasn't just a bad day for the leaders, but even for the common people that were in the nation. If you were to hop over to Lamentations, you can if you want to, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Lamentations first at chapter 2, verse 17 says this, The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself to rest, or give yourself no rest, your eyes no, no respite. Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, Lord, and see, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb? 
the children of their tender care. Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a festival day. My terror is on every side, and on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. And then over in chapter 4, verse 19 of Lamentations. Uh, Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. Am I reading that right? I'm not. Chapter 4, verse 9, 19. Sorry about that. Chapter 4, verse 9. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They become their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe nor any of the inhabitants of the world that foe or enemy would, could enter gates of, the gates of Jerusalem. This was, the sin, this was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. Did you see how bad it got? Taking their own kids, cooking them up, having to eat them. It's horrible. Absolutely, absolutely horrific. And that's, that's, what, that's what it got to. Now, Going through the history of this nation, we've been reading the writings of Isaiah, we've read the writings of Jeremiah, I've read some of them of Ezekiel. I would think that we have a pretty firm grasp as to why God did this, but just in case we don't, and you know, we just read it also in Lamentations there, let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 14, it says this, All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. There was no remedy. That's, that's what the Bible looks at it as. That's what God looks at it as. Listen, I tried to come. I tried to make you well. I tried to heal you. I tried to make you better. But you just scoffed at it. You scoffed at my medicine. You scoffed at my prescriptions. You scoffed at it. You pushed them out. You killed them. You pushed them away. That's what God was trying to do. There was no remedy. So what does God do? He removes the sickness. He removes that virus. He removes that infection. Who is that? The people. He removes the people. He removes that infection. Some of them die, and some of them simply live never to return. Leave never to return. They go off into exile in Babylon. This is going to be 70 years. Most of the people that are taken at this time are going to be dead by the time this is all said and done. But they're gone. And then what does he do? After Nebuzaradan comes in and he crushes everything, takes everybody out, what does he do? He burns the whole thing, right? He burns the temple. He burns the city. Why does he do that? That's the best way to clean it out. 
That's the best way to clean it out. Burn it all down so they could start anew. Think of it as, as metal or precious stones. You know, you take silver, uh, you, you put it in something that's super hot, you liquefy it, gold, whatever kind of metal. You put it in there, and then you have to wait for it to heat up, and then all the impurities rise to the top, and then you, you, you have to take a special spoon, or if you're really brave and stupid, you take your hand, and you just, I'm just kidding, you wouldn't take your hand. But you would you take something special, and you would take all that dross, you would take all those impurities, you take them out, and then you'd keep heating it because more is going to come up and then he take it and that's what God was doing he was taking Jerusalem he was taking the temple and he just said burn it all burn it all to get all the filth out of there to get all the ugliness out of there we, we've got to we got to burn it the only way to get those impurities out is by heating it is by burning it think about a forest fire if it's not started by the stupidity of a human being forest fires are actually really good for the earth it cleans it all out, cleans out the brush, things, you know, leaves and needles and, uh, and you know, carcasses and stuff. They, they, they just fill our forests. And every now and then you get a thunderstorm and lightning will strike something and what happens? Whoosh! Starts a great fire. But what's the purpose of that? It's being cleaned out. Because that's the way you clean things if you really want to clean. And that's what he did. He burns it all. He does all this. And then what gets to happen the land gets to rest. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by the land gets to rest? Look at what the writer of Second Chronicles says after describing the destruction in verse 20 of chapter 36 of Second Chronicles. Verse 20 says this, He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons in the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. The Lord said, I'm getting rid of the people, and I'm going to let the land rest. I'm going to let the land get healed. I'm going to let the land get better. Sounds weird, but, but the land gets to rest. It was kind of like what happens after humans go through a surgery. We, wet, we rest. During that rest, we heal, and we kind of relearn how to become whole again. You know, if you lose your appendix, or they want to put a new shoulder in you, or a new knee, or by golly, a new ankle, or I don't know, maybe one of these days they'll get a new brain for some of you. I have no idea. But they, 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 you want to replace something, what, what you got to do? You got to heal, you got to rest, and you got to relearn how to act whole now that this has changed. So during that rest is the healing and the relearning. That's what happened with the land. God got rid of the infection. He burned it out to clean it up, and then he allowed it to enjoy some rest. 70 years worth of rest. That's not a mistake. 10 times 7, right? 7, the number of completion. You're going to enjoy 70 years of rest, land. You're, you're going you're gonna to get better. You're going to get well. It's going to be good. The Israelites, listen, the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the desert during the Exodus, right? It was 40 years that they wandered before they were able to get in the promised land. This was 70 years, almost two generations. God said, listen, you ain't coming back until this happens. I got to clean this out. This is how bad it had gotten. Now listen, friends, sorry to give away the story, but they will come back, you, and most of you know that. They will come back. We saw it last week in Jeremiah chapter 32. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 33, God comes to Jeremiah a second time, right before all of this destruction, to reiterate this plan and to reaffirm what is known as the Davidic covenant, that, that someone from the line of David will forever reign on the throne of Israel. 
That person, of course, is going to be Jesus Christ, and it's going to be still another 500 years before anybody sees that. But, but all of this, he reminds them, they're going to come back. So, so they come back, just to give you a quick little history, they come back, rebuild the temple, just like the first one, though they defile it about 500-ish years later. Remember when Jesus comes to the earth and he's in the temple? What does he say to him? He comes in, grabs a whip real quick, looks at everybody selling doves and everything so that people can make their sacrifices, comes in with the whip, starts driving them out, and says, get out of here. You, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. It's nothing but Las Vegas in here is pretty much what he's saying. Get out. So they rebuild the temple. It looked really good. It looked really awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll look at it like sometime in 2034 or something and when we get to Ezra. But we, they, they rebuild the temple. Everything is good to go. And within 500 years, they've messed it all up again. It's all screwed up again. It's, not, it's, it's been defiled one more time. And Jesus has to come in and say, listen, this is what happened. This time, at the death of Christ, though, the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom, exposing the Ark of the Covenant and pretty much making the temple and everything in it worthless. Once Jesus dies on the cross, God pretty much said, we're done with the temple. You guys are no good at taking care of it anyways. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, don't need that anymore. All that stuff, whoosh, it's gone. And about 35 years later, the Romans come in and absolutely destroy it. Ark of the Covenant's gone. I mean, Indiana Jones made a great movie about it. But anyways, you should see it. It's, it's great. I don't know how factual it is, but it's good. Anyways, but he gets rid of it. And what does he do? He says, that's it. We're done with the physical temple. We're done with this. Instead, now I'm going to live. I'm going to reside in each person. Any person that comes and says, I believe in Jesus Christ. Boom. Your temple. Your temple. Some of us, more structured temple than others, but it's all good. It's okay. When this life is all done, we're all going to look pretty good, okay? We get new bodies. It's, it's, it's fine. But he's, he comes out and he says, listen, this is going to be the new temple. And uh, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about dedicating the basement and those kinds of things. Um, but but he, he came in and said, listen, these, this is going to be the new temple. We're going to stop doing this and, and going after these physical things, and it's, we're going to go after the spiritual aspect of it. And human beings are going to be able to have the Holy Spirit in them. They're going to be able to have Jesus in them, just like we see with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel. We see these guys. We see these men of God. The Lord pretty much said, listen, this is going to be open to all of you, man and woman, young and old. doesn't matter what your skin color is. doesn't matter where you live. I'm going to pour it out on all flesh, no matter what's going on. Listen, friends, some of us sit here today, and we're defiling the temple of the Lord. And I'm not talking about this building, of course. I'm talking about our lives, our physical bodies. Maybe you're in some habits. Maybe you're looking at some things you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe you're smoking stuff you shouldn't be smoking. Maybe you're drinking stuff you shouldn't be drinking. Maybe you're eating stuff you shouldn't be eating. Maybe too much of it, whatever it may be but we're defiling the temple of God. Maybe you've fallen for the idol that a majority of America seems to be following, the idol of busyness, constantly having to do things. 
We keep ourselves and we keep our kids busy enough. We won't get stuck looking at and thinking about stuff that we shouldn't be thinking about. But now things are starting to take the place of God. And the relationship with God is dying. Maybe we're at the moment, like we saw with with the, the physical temple of Jerusalem. Maybe you're at the remedy stage. Remember, God said there's no remedy. The Bible said there was no remedy left. That's, that's, they were stuck. There was no remedy. Maybe at this moment, you're at the remedy stage. God is showing you what you need to do to fix your temple. Maybe God is saying, I want you to lighten up the schedule and spend more time with me. I want you to spend more time in the word. I want you to spend more time in prayer. I want you to spend more time in solitude. I just want you to sit there and just listen for my voice. Maybe he's telling you, listen, I want you to start fasting. I want you to start praying harder than you ever have before. I want you to start getting on your knees, and I want you to do this. And he's sending you these remedies. Or maybe maybe he's just telling you to do something crazy like we talked about last week. I want you to do this. This is the remedy. Your relationship is starting to falter with me, and this is the remedy I'm giving you. Maybe he's going as far as saying, I'm listening, I'm sending this person into your life to speak to you. Listen to what they have to say. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's just a friend. Maybe it's the guy at work. Maybe it's the gal at work. Whoever it is, God is saying, listen, I'm sending this person. I'm sending this counselor, literal, a a physical counselor, a doctor, whatever it may be. I'm sending these people to you to give you this message. And I want you to listen. And I want you to follow it. My spirit is in them. And I want you to listen to them. Because they're speaking on my behalf. Follow what they say because they're speaking from me. Excuse me. God is showing you that remedy. And for some of you, that's just what you need to do. Learn from these Israelites. A remedy is a whole lot easier than the next step that God takes. You don't want to listen to the remedy? Fine. We're going to burn it out of you. (laughs) And then that's when God really starts pressing in. And he comes into your life and he says, listen, we're burning this garbage out. We're getting rid of this. This 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 is going away. You don't want to listen to the remedy. You don't want to follow the remedy. Fine. I'm going to take drastic measures. I'm going to take drastic steps. And I'm going to come in. And I'm going to invade your life. And listen, friends, burning it out is painful. We don't like the burning. But I'm telling you right now, friends, if you allow God to do the burning, there's peace, there's hope, there's life beyond that. If you don't want to get to the burning stage, though, follow the remedy. <laughs> follow the remedy. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, we've got to understand this. (laughs) 
We're in the world. Things are happening. We've been given the Great Commission to go into the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Okay, so what Paul is not saying here is become a hermit, lock yourself in your house to make sure that you don't get defiled. That's not what it is. It's, listen, you can't be buddy-buddy chum-chum with people that aren't following Christ. If you're going to do that, they're going to drag you down more than you're going to be able to pull them up. Trust me. Because guess what? None of us, none of us has the power to pull anybody up. That's only through the Holy Spirit. That's only through God. So when you start hanging out with people you know you shouldn't be hanging out with, you start doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, chances are you're going to be torn down. And God is sending that remedy and saying, listen, you got to stop this. You got to start listening to these people that I'm putting into your life that are speaking on behalf of me and following that. If not, then fine, we'll get to the burning stage. And I'm going to start burning out. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. It's a lot harder at that stage than it is at the remedy stage. It's, it's, it's hard. It's tough. But what if, what if, Pastor Dave, I still don't listen? <laughs> what if I still ignore God at the, at the burning stage? Okay. Let's take the Old Testament people and put them in our place. Now, we're talk, we were talking about a physical temple. Now, we're the temple. Let's, let's change it. Let's say that those people were the temple of God as opposed to the actual temple. The initial remedy for them was listening and acting on the words of the messengers and prophets that God sent them. They didn't do that. So what was the burning action? If you guys remember, what did Jeremiah tell King Zedekiah and all the leaders? Listen, you submit to Babylon. You surrender to Babylon, you'll live. You don't like it. You don't want to do it. But this is the only way now. This is the burning. It hurts. It's not fun. It's not good. But that's what you get. You're going to go in there. You didn't listen to the remedy. You didn't follow the remedy. You didn't listen to my messages. You didn't listen to the message of those that came before me. You didn't want to do the remedy. That's fine. You didn't want to do the easier aspect. So the tougher aspect is you go into surrender to the king of Babylon. That's what you get to do. And then you get to go be in exile. That's what it is. And if you don't want to do the burning, well, what was left? death. Death was left. That's all that was left. If we don't want to follow the remedy and that we don't want to follow the burning, I don't know when it will happen, but it'll be death. That's the last stage. That's the last thing that happens. Friends, we need to start on the remedy or allow God to burn the defilement out of his temple, out of his temple. I want us to take that opportunity today. Stop trying to figure it out with your own thinking and start listening to what God wants you to do. Some of you sit here and you know God is showing you what to do. Some of you are going through the burning. There's relationships that you're not supposed to have. There's things you're not supposed to be doing and you're ignoring it. And at some point, it's going to kill you. And you're going to be dead, separated from God. It's not going to be good. As the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't wait. It needs to happen now. What is it in your life that you need to give up? What is it in your life that you need to repent of? What does repent mean? Repent means to turn away from that thing. You're going to say, you know what? 
This is the garbage in my life. It's horrible. It's weighing me down. It's terrible. It's, it's bringing me death. And when you repent, you're literally saying, I'm going this way because that's where God is. I'm going to turn from this. And I'm going to God. I'm going to listen to what he says. That's the only way out, friends. It's it. Even within the remedy and the burning, it's all about repentance. It's all about, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. You're smart. I'm stupid. Now help me. And God will. God will. But listen, you got to be sincere. You got to be sincere. You know, at the beginning of Jeremiah's time of prophecy, there was a time, we didn't read it, but you can if you want to. I think it's in Jeremiah 7 and 12. I could be wrong, but God tells Jeremiah, listen, stop praying for these people. <laughs> I'm done with them. I'm sick of them. And in one of the times that he tells them to stop praying, he tells them, he tells him, listen, when they fast and pray, I ain't going to listen to them. You want to know why? Because God's not stupid. God knows when we're insincere. God knows, listen, you're just, you're just being a punk. And I'm done. I can't tell you in your personal life if you're to that point or not. That's between you and God. I wouldn't think so. I would think with Jesus Christ coming to earth, a lot of those kinds of things are a lot different. But I'm telling you right now, I would not push away the remedy and the burning that God has for your life and for you to change. Stand with me today. Stand with me today. We're going to go after the Lord today just with an attitude of repentance. I don't want to have a bunch of destroyed temples here. I don't want a bunch of death here. I want life. I want hope. I want peace. But the only way you're getting there, friends, is through repentance, is through turning from the sin and the evil that's in your life and going to God. That's it. That's the only direction you can go. Other than that, you're, just, you're probably just walking in circles. I don't even know what you're doing if you're not following God in that. What is it in your life that you need to say, God, I'm, I'm going to go after that remedy. You, you sent these people into my life. I'm going to start listening to them. Lord, I'm to the burning stage. This is painful. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that far. But listen, friends, if you want to get closer to God, if you want the relationship to be made right, if you don't want the temple destroyed, you got to allow God to burn it. Allow God to clean it. And then listen, friends. Take time and rest. Sit in the presence of God and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for cleaning me. Thank you for cleansing me. Take that time to heal. Take that time to allow the Lord to work through you. Because after the temple and the city were burned and destroyed, then the land got to rest because the infection was gone. The virus was gone. All of that was gone. Take that time to heal.